the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. A State of Control. This is A State of Control, episode number eight, recorded Wednesday, December 11th, 2013. Sneakernet. This is A State of Control, uh, the control podcast bought, brought to you by the fine folks at AV Nation. My name is Tim Albright. I'm um, I'm the Yahoo who asked the questions. Steve Greenblatt, though, is your host and your producer. He's also the chief muckety muck at Control Concepts. How are you, sir? I'm great. How about you? It's great to be here. Doing well. Also with us, this is our technology manager's uh, uh, session, I guess, for the for uh, for the month. Uh, if you watched yesterday or listened to yesterday's EdTech, this is the exact same group of people. So there's Scott <laughs> Tyner in a brand new shirt. Uh, you know, yes. looking all nice and spiffy. <laughs> Uh, this, he's from, this is this is not like Jeopardy, where I just went outside of my room, changed my shirt, and came back. It is a different day. It's a different yes. day. Uh, he's from Bates College up in the great uh, white north of Maine. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Doing good. Uh, also with us is Greg Brown. He is uh, from UCLA. How are you, sir? Hello, guys. And, and unless I'm mistaken, there is a second book in Scott's office since we last saw him. Let's go back there. Uh, no, there's not. No, there's not. <laughs> not since yesterday. Uh, and last but not least, Ernie Bailey. Ernie uh, works for the University of Arkansas at their medical facility. How are you, sir? I'm doing just great. Warming up here. Well, yeah, yeah. You, you. We were talking <laughs> offline. Uh, Ernie is is due south of me. Uh, I'm in St. Louis, and and we're both uh, around 30 degrees. While uh, Mr. Brown is, you know, freezing at a paltry 60 degrees. So 62. Oh, jeez, quiet. <laughs> all right, guys. Struggling with the space heater all morning. Oh, you poor yeah. thing. Uh, we're going to talk about technology managers and and how we as technology managers. Uh, deal with control. How we, you know, what is it that we look for? Uh, we talked yesterday, actually, on, on yesterday's podcast about manufacturers training, and, and some of us have been to some of the programming manufacturers training, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we don't have a need for for uh, control programmers uh, or don't want them on our campus. It just means that we're we're trying to educate ourselves. Uh, so we'll start with 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 this. You know, what is what's the most important thing uh, to a technology manager? When it comes to a control system, uh, is it is it you know usability? Is it the back end? Uh, Scott, you guys have have done really well when it comes to using asset management software. Uh, you you you've talked before about how many reports you can you can print off and uh, on a on a quarterly basis and tell you know this room only you know they only use the computer and the dot cam in this room. So why do we have the the DVD player and things of, things of that nature? So we'll start with you. What's the most important thing when it comes to a control system uh, for technology managers? So uh, for me, the most important thing uh, is is the ease of use. That that's first and foremost. You know, give me all the reports in the world. I love them, but my faculty, my staff need to walk into a room um, and use the system. And I even go so far as to say um, that if we need to train people on the systems. 
maybe we haven't done something right. I want a system where somebody can walk in and just look at the touch panel and use it. After that, let's talk about reports and interactivity because I think that that's uh, really good stuff for us. Is the reports and the interactivity. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ernie, for you guys, when it comes to you uh, of Arkansas, what's the most important thing uh, for uh, a technology manager? I'm going to go right along with uh, Mr. Tyner on this one. Uh, the ease of operation. When someone walks in the room, you know, I agree. I don't want people having to uh, read instruction sheet to use the touch panel. You know, that, that drives me crazy when you have to provide both. Uh, they should be able to look down, see what it's going to do, and it should be the same in every room. So uh, consistency across the board is one thing we look at. Uh, the ease of use for the instructors. Uh, what I tell new staff coming in that work for me is the goal of our operation is to make, make it uh, such a way that when the instructor leaves his office to, to walk down the hall to the classroom, they're thinking about what they're going to teach. They're not thinking about what button do I push or is the projector going to work today or what's going to fail. They're thinking about what they're going to teach. And I remind them they're teaching the people that are going to be your health care providers when you're old. <laughs> that's true. So, that's, a good, that's a good point. So. Don't want to miss that class. No. Uh, Mr. Brown, last one for you. Um, what's, what's the most important uh, for technology managers when it comes to control systems? Well, I can I can jump on a bandwagon with the best of them, and uh, I'd have to agree. Yeah, ease of use, uh, also reliability. You know, you you we don't have time to be messing with these things once we roll them out. Um, we're we're using our our first control systems here uh, in regular classrooms with um, with this right here, this uh, little four inch touch panel. Uh, previously, everything we had used was uh, was button panels. And really, to, uh, to 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 go along those lines of ease of use, what we did basically was, if that was live, and if I had been thinking, I could have plugged this thing and actually got gotten it working. Um, it it is largely a duplicate of the button panel. It's got the little squares with the labels on them. Now, when you hit DVD, you do your your DVD controls pop up. They're not on a separate panel of buttons, but. It, it's largely duplicating the button panel, and we haven't had any problems with it. Like I said, with these, our first um, the, these 25 rooms have been our first control panel uh, operated rooms in the in the general assignment classrooms. Okay, Steve, the uh, as as the control programmer, as as the integrator here, uh, the main concept, the main thing we're looking for is reliability and ease of use. As the person responsible for that, how do you how do you achieve that? So, so the jury has spoken, huh? Yes. <laughs> it's, uh, well, I, I appreciate that, and you know, I, I think you know, I, as I was going through and listening to you guys, it sounded almost like a, a great sales pitch. I could do my market research here, but um, what what, uh, it, what the challenges that, that we find, and and I, you know, th this does fall in line with what I would expect, is that we need to find out how do we identify the needs of the user so that we can provide that ease of use and we can provide the, the reliability and consistency. What we, we are finding is um, many of our uh, end user clients uh, we, we, we're able to latch on to a technology manager such as yourselves because you, you you're able to provide that bridge between the user and us because a lot of times we, we can't 
walk up to a professor, let's say, or or even so a user in a corporate world and be able to extract the right information out of them. Um, so uh, what we look to accomplish is how, how do we find out the way to provide the, the best solution. Uh, but but, I, but I, w I would certainly agree, and, and, and I think consistency, the ability to walk into any room across campus, no matter what the technology is, uh, and, and have the same experience is really number one in our book. Okay, so let me, let me go back to, to you guys, the technology managers. Ernie, how would we do that as technology managers? I mean, is there anything wrong necessarily, or is it just too cumbersome to get faculty involved because there's so many faculty involved? Uh, it depends on the campus. On our campus, there are some rooms that are, you know, that one professor, that's his room or her room. And then other rooms are more, you know, multifunctional and they have several different faculty going in them. So oh. go ahead. All of our rooms are centrally managed, so no college owns any teaching space. Okay. It's owned by the university, and it may be a nursing class for two hours, followed by pharmacy for the next three hours, and then medicine in the afternoon. Uh, that's that's very common uh, on our campus. So what we uh, look at when we're working uh, either with a programmer or if we're bringing an integrator in for a large room, uh, something that's a little bit beyond what we're able to do or outside our time scope. Uh, we work as uh, the translator or interpreter okay. between the faculty members who want to use it. We'll, we'll bring them, we'll meet with the faculty members about what they want and then we'll sit down uh, with Steve or someone like that or an integrator and say this is, you know, this is what our users want but we can give it to them in a language that makes sense to them uh, more more than the layman terms they're hearing from the instructors. So you 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 really are a, a translator at that point. You're a technology yes. translator. You know exactly. Yeah, you know. and we're glad to be a participant in that conversation too. I think that right. it, it isn't something that is any one person's responsibility. It's it's important to to lay out what the options are. Uh, to be able to compile the information and, and get to, I, I think something at least you know for, from my perspective that I like to talk about is we want to get a sense of your culture and, and your environment so that we can maybe offer the right suggestions. But I, I appreciate we're, we're, that 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 type of response and and uh, I, th I think the that collaborative effort is what get what leads to the right outcome. Well, and and something that we've talked about on, on this show and a couple others is the fact that. There's nothing worse, at least from a technology stand manager standpoint, is having a, a brand new room put in, whether it was by an integrator or, or you guys did it yourself, and having the true end user, right? I, I, Infocom has referred to technology managers as, 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 as an end user of sorts, uh, especially talking about last year's Infocom uh, 2013, the show. But the true end user, the, the faculty, the people who are actually using and pushing the buttons on a daily basis, there's there's nothing uh, there's few things more frustrating than having them walk into a brand new room and not being able to figure it out or saying something to the effect of I thought it was going to do this or I expected it to do that. Uh, Scott, how do we how do we as as technology managers mitigate the the, the I guess the letdown? <laughs> you know, uh, is it managing expectations or is it really drilling down and, and like Ernie said, finding out exactly what what the true end user wants? 
there's no question that you've got to drill down and find out what the real end user wants. Um, you know, we I think we all try that. I think that we um, I think you know, at Bates, for example, we're at a really good point where we um, for the past four or five years our, our rooms are sophisticated and complex, but they're cookie cutter at this point. They're all the same. Now we're starting to enter a uh, a new phase where we add class capture into them, where we add um, Skype and video conferencing into them. And the sheer amount of uh, control that you can have over those things adds some complexity to it. So we're in that process right now of sitting down with professors and really saying to them, tell us, tell us what you want it to do. Tell us how you want it to look. Um, I think that if, if you're talking about it, I, I – I have to think that if you're getting to a point where, where you walk into a room and a professor says, well, this I was told this was going to do this or I expected it to do this, then either you've really missed something or or you ought to be in a position to tell yourself this, this professor or staff member really checked themselves out of this process. Yeah. We invited them to be part of it and they just chose not to be. Um, but you know, we we're we work really closely. You know, our class capture systems we've um, got at this point. We've decided what we're doing is we are um, specifying some of them to certain users because they just have really specific things they use. So they'll put in a code and they get the page that they that they said they wanted. Hmm. That's that's a good idea. I, I never even thought about where you personalize a page and then they t type in a, a keypad almost like a, a pin number, and they get a served up you know a specific page for them. So. Uh, Greg, when it comes to finding out exactly, you know, what what the end user wants, wants the, what the faculty and staff want, how do you guys at UCLA do it? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, we're a bit like what Scott has been doing. You know, we um, we we've been working a lot on just completing our our rooms um, a a first pass of AV equipment, and so a lot of ours are very cookie cutter and very basic, just like like Scott said. Uh, you know, we've, we've got a few more. We've got 200 rooms, so we're just now wrapping up that initial first pass, and the equipment is fairly basic. And so I, I think that's something we've been able to um, kind of sidestep to a certain extent and have sidestepped, uh, really working with faculty to find out what they want in terms of more sophisticated equipment and more long-term, you know, going into the future. There's all sorts of crazy things going on in our worlds as far as technology and pedagogical equipment. Um, and I think we're all kind of trying to figure out what direction a lot of those are leading us. Um, so... Largely, it's been um, just just fighting the battle of putting equipment in all the rooms, not so much what equipment it is. Um, and that's going to have to change. I mean, we do record comments and uh, complaints, and we do some very basic surveying, but... Um, we're we're going to have to step that up, and I think we're kind of doing a little bit of self-examining in that area uh, right now to figure out how we're going to handle it. Uh, all right, guys, we're going to step uh, into more of our our area, our direct control or our direct interface, which is the back end, and I'll call it the back end because this is the remote asset management software. Um, whether it's RoomView or, or um, uh, Global Viewer or AMX's product or even Inside Crestron, you have several different flavors. Uh, is anybody using um, their uh, their server edition? By the way, yes, of, yes. Of who's we are. Uh, of, I'm sorry, of, of of Crestrons. Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. 
All right. So here's the question for you guys. And, and Scott, you've written about this. You've talked about this. So we're going to start with you on this. Oh, boy. How important is that? You know, how important is is that asset management software uh, from a technology manager standpoint uh, is the the ability to get feedback from those rooms and, you know, lamp hours or what have you. How important is that? Uh, it's it's essential. Um, we we. We use the the server aspect of it now, uh, mostly to track, maintain, and report. Very, you know, we use Crestron a lot. Very rarely do I log into the RoomView server at this point. I have it programmed so that it's sending me text messages and emails. It's sending my staff and my students text messages and emails, telling them um, when things need to be done. I think that the the next big step, and we talked a little bit about this yesterday. It was on your your wish list, Christmas list, is the app part of it. Um, you know, we, we looked at AMX controls and they've got a really great web browser that you can log into and control um, some of their equipment really awesome, uh, but it doesn't work on, on a, on a um, iDevice because it, it runs Flash. So I think that, you know, I think a, a guy like Steve, this is where his business is going to be in, in the future is, is writing these apps and writing um, control uh, and, and information uh, systems for the, for the iPad. You know, we've got um, interconnect between our systems now, so I can look at one page on my iPad and see um, all of the lamp hours uh, across campus. Um, I, that stuff is so invaluable to us and that our staff is not running around. I mean, really, you, I'm sure you remember, 11 years ago, we had somebody going around to rooms getting the lamp hours off the yeah. lamps. And, and now you don't, and that saves man hours, so... Uh, Ernie, how do you guys use uh, asset, you know, remote asset management software uh, at University well, of Arkansas? We're we're just starting to use it. We're several years uh, behind Scott uh, in that a year and a half ago I had the guys running around checking lamp hours. <laughs> uh, so uh, we're we're just in the process of getting it up and running and see what we can do. Uh, you know, we we're changing our support model from you know touching every classroom a minimum of twice a day. And with 90 spaces and nine technicians, well, two years ago uh, I had six technicians. Mm. So, uh, and we still had we had the 90 spaces. Uh, so, you know, you buy new sneakers every three months. <laughs> uh, but we were having to hit every room and every building, uh, check lamp hours, make sure things were turned on, turned off. Uh, you know, whatever had to be done had to be done uh, manually. Now, you know, uh, we have uh, a guy that sits down late afternoon and tells uh, the rooms what time to turn on the next morning. Oh, wow. Uh, so I don't, I'm not having to have three people here between six and seven in the morning just to turn on systems. Uh, we're able to do it remotely. And the same thing, we have everything turn off uh, at 1030 at night, every night. So. You know, we have classes till 10. That gives the instructor time to answer questions and then uh, get out of the room. So uh, we don't have to go around and do that. So that's kind of where we are right now. And we're developing the reporting process to let us know who's using what, when. And that's where we're trying to get. Steve, uh, to, to so, Scott, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, other than 
the, uh, the the need to turn systems on and off. Do you, are any of you guys doing anything to allow you to, to remotely test or provide other, you know, I know lamp hours is kind of a standard, but any other diagnostics that, that you get back that are automated so that you can detect a failure or um, de detect a, any any reason to go visit the room? We do have that in some of our rooms. Uh, in this, the, you know, the systems come back and tell us. Uh, now, I have a problem at uh, our remote, we have a remote campus that has about a dozen classrooms in it, and anytime there's a network hiccup, I get a uh, notification that uh, five LCD TVs have been stolen. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, they, wow. they, re they reappear 45 seconds later. Uh, yeah, we, at, at Bates, we, we do stuff like that. So we will um, we'll do some testing at, at, at 2 a.m. I know, you know, some of the things that we do is we will uh, check a video signal from a DVD player. Um, are we getting the video signal? If we're not, we, we sent it the IR command to turn it on. Now are we getting the video signal? Uh, like Ernie said, are we communicating with the projectors or not? Um, as soon as we stop communicating with the projector, like it sounds like Ernie does, um, we get an immediate text telling us about that. I think I'm with Ernie that there's some... Um, there's still some quirks to find out. Yeah. You know, I've got my iPad Mini right here, and this is a, you know, this is one of our pages. This this guy tells me now, um, in a room, what, what the lamp hours are in the room, where where sync sources are being detected, and where where they're not. So if I get a help request call to that room, I can pop open this iPad Mini, and on my way there, I essentially got the problem troubleshooted uh, before I need to even walk in the room. So there's the tools are just really amazing. Are those more of like tech pages that you put in within the back end of the touch panel in the room, or is this something that you develop a, a, a particular web page that's just a diagnostics page? Because I think that, that that's a, a, an idea that's often lost. People look at eControl as only being a, a replication of the touch panel rather than it can, can be its own entity. Yeah, the RE control is completely separate. You will never see this tech page in the classroom. Me and all my techs have got these iPad minis, and the expectation is you have it with you at all times, and um, it's a completely different touch panel than you're going to see in the classroom. Oh, good point. Uh, Steve, to, to, to Scott's point real quick, um, how, how as a, a control company, as, as a, a programming company, do you guys... Sell is the wrong word, but but convince uh, I, I guess um, the the end user, the, the tech managers, that this is something valuable. This is something useful. In terms of uh, the the remote, the remote management, yes. yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, well, I think the remote management software is very underutilized. Honestly, I think that we we do provide those hooks and those connections, and and we could certainly do what what is considered the standard or the typical. Uh, the, t the typical application. However, I think that we can go so much further. You could, you could almost write your own spec just for doing diagnostics, and uh, similar to the way you'd write the spec for for the user interface um, for, for for the actual person for for the, for the touch panel of the person person using the the system. Um, what I I I think you need to have that conversation. Uh, unfortunately, uh, while the, the pro project is in pro progress or even after the, the room has been implemented and it leads you to have to go back and, and put more programming into the local room. However, I think you really don't under, you're, you're not really able to identify all that you might need or you might benefit from while you're 
focusing on on the usability of the system. Um, I, I, I think that what what would be the most helpful, and and we've we've played with different types of tools to be able to create a checklist and say, okay, these are the things that you can have. These are some ideas. Uh, well, I, I like to take it from the approach of a questionnaire. So I'm not necessarily asking for the information that you're looking to, to monitor, but, uh, but more asking questions that'll lead me to make the suggestion that w would, would be able to provide you with the appropriate solution. Uh, some of us uh, in this in this call have been the, some of us tech managers have been to training uh, at various uh, control companies. Uh, I think all of us have, have done something in, in the last uh, couple of years. Mr. Brown, you have recently come back from your first round of Crestron programming. Uh, is that something that you guys hope to do in, in, in the future is, is take on programming yourself or is this more of a less uh, you know, you just want to find out how to, you know, fix a system and, and not call in a, a programmer. Yeah, Crestron Programming 101, the first class. And boy, if you uh, have not done a lot of programming and you would like four days of class that will beat you up and make you feel like you have no idea what you're talking about and have no business going anywhere near a control system, uh, that's the one for you. It was uh, it was a very interesting class. Um, I'm, I'm told a lot of people repeated it. I may actually consider doing that. I'm If, if I picked up 50% of it, I, I think I would be uh, impressed or happy with that. Um, just, I mean, quite quite literally, you always hear the analogy of, you know, the, the feeding you with a fire hose in class, and that was, that was exactly what it felt like during much of the time. But um, I, um, yeah, w with, with these first control panel systems, what we did, we had, um, oh, and the phone goes right on time there. It's your fans, uh, Greg. Your fans, they're, yeah. they're out there. They're like, oh, man, I want to yeah, be on I the air. Um, <laughs> I can't uh, mute it. So, um, um, let's see, where was I? Um, Crestron programming. Yeah, the Crestron programming. Um, the, um, um, yeah, I've, I've Answer it, Greg. We want, to, we want to hear the call. Answer it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they really, really, really want to talk to you. All right. There's no uh, mute on uh, these phones. It, it's the phone a friend. What? Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, the uh, what are the, the, these were the first because these were our first control panel rooms we had them done by a, a programmer out of house and that was, there was something different that that's something we've never really done we our our model here is everything in house we uh, we designed and built and installed the systems all on our own here in house and so that took a little bit of soul searching but sounded like the right thing to do just in terms of you know, we aren't going to be cranking out lots and lots of programs. We're going to have a couple. We're going to stick with them. They're going to be slow incremental changes. You know, not not something that that somebody really would stay proficient doing just our programming in and of ourselves. I know, you know, other sister UCs and Cal State schools that that do enough stuff because they do other things on campus that they can, they have full time programmers. But I think our goal here is to the, the idea be, is uh, just just have enough programming knowledge that maybe we can we can do the little tweaks we can um, add the new projector model and things like that you know we're they're they're already um, setting it up for us such that um, 
you know, we, we don't have to use a new program when we uh, get a new model of, pro of uh, projector. We have a back page where we can go in and we can select what the different model is. Cool. We'll just need to update that occasionally. Yeah, they're 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 on board with us. They you know, and they gave us the control code. We worked out all that stuff ahead of time. We 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 kind of knew what we were getting into going into it, and so um, we we were able to find somebody who who also understood that we understood what we wanted and what traps we didn't want to set for ourselves. Um, and so um, we'll we'll use them for for writing new versions of the programming, but we might do little tweaks and modifications here and there. So how how was the experience working with an outside programmer? Uh, good, good actually. Um, what we did we we went by recommendations. Um, well, plus we had we'd had a. A not so great experience in the past, um, so so we knew some things that we didn't want to get ourselves into. There are a lot of a lot of one-person operations out there, and we were looking for a group of folks that were a little bit more of a company. and And these folks are kind of a virtual company. They're all you know working out of their their various locations, but they are a company. There's a handful of them. They do nothing but programming. And when we started asking around and you know pinging all those contacts that we've all got, uh, we very quickly started getting this one company recommended to us repeatedly. And it turns out they they are the folks who do a lot of the programming for um, most of the integrators in the area anyway. Oh, wow. So they're they're sort of they're 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 the go-to guys for a lot of people around here in the Southern California area. Oh, very good, uh, Ernie. When it comes to getting a a, a outside programmer versus using an inside programmer. Uh, first of all, how do you guys uh, decide that? What's the, what's the decision process? Uh, and if you've ever used an outside programmer, what's the, what's the experience been like? Okay. We have not as of yet used an outside programmer other than an integrator okay. you know, doing the project for us. Uh, the integrators in our market uh, all have their own programmers. Uh, which is good, and that you know we develop a relationship with them, but bad, and that uh, their kids want to go to the beach for two weeks, and we have a problem. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Yeah. Uh, so we now have a guy going uh, through programming school. He's my it's my assistant manager. I didn't think he had enough to do, so I added programming <laughs> to his to his list. Uh, he he only works about 15 hours a day right now, uh, but. No, he he's very he's learning quickly, uh, and uh, our plan is for him to be able to program our small and maybe some of our medium-sized rooms. Uh, we, I have uh, over the last couple of years have hired several people who have installation experience, and uh, I actually have a design engineer coming on my staff Monday, hmm. uh, which is a, a big step for us. Uh, and he knows a little bit of programming, but I'm getting to the point where we could probably install a large lecture hall system, you know, over the summer break if we had to. Um, and then I, I know there's no way we could program everything we want that to do. So we're developing right now our uh, plans for looking uh, for a programming a programmer. And I would go along with what uh, Greg said. And that I don't want a one-person house. You know, I, I want a programming company that I can deal with. And once again, you know, if they're on vacation or sick, we're not 
uh, just stuck. Uh, we have someone who can go to, we can call, talk to, and work with on it. Uh, but I also want to be able to do, like Greg said, when we change out a projector, uh, we can do that in-house as far as the programming goes. Uh, I learned that the hard way in that we had an integrator who did a lot of work for us, and uh, you know they they owned the code. We did you know they they copyrighted all we got uh, was was compiled copy, and when I bought a new projector, you know I paid thirty five hundred dollars for a projector. I paid twenty five hundred dollars. For the programming. Oh, jeez! Wow. Yeah. Uh, and I had to buy it. I had to buy the projector from the programmer that sold me the initial system, which means you know there was no competition in purchasing the projector. So thirty-five plus twenty-five. Yeah. Carry the two. holy cow, dude. Yeah. Wow. All right, Steve. <laughs> Yeah, We're there, gonna, there are adjectives for that, none of which are usable in polite company. No, yeah. no, there's not. Uh, we, we call it I, being held hostage. So. Well, that, that's, that's a nice that's, way to put that's it. That's the, probably the nicest way I can think of putting it. <laughs> yeah. Actually, mid-project, our programmer, I think he, like, he fell off a ladder or something like that and put himself in the hospital with like a like a broken arm and a broken leg and something like that. and. That's that's that that would be rather scary if you're if you're dealing with a one man type yes, shop. Yeah. Uh, that, although I don't think programmers should be anywhere near ladders personally. Or or a <laughs> high voltage here. electricity. Um, just, well, yeah, um, that too. There's a reason that's called low voltage. Uh, just, yeah. <laughs> uh, Steve, uh, we're going to beat up on you for a second second because you're you're surrounded by by four technology managers. We're not going to get into the who owns the code. We've done that a couple different times, and you you were a guest on the one of uh, commercial integrators' webinars about that very topic. But how do you, as as a programming house, uh, well, first of all, let me ask you this question: Describe to me the difference between um, a, a, just a programming house, like that—that's all you do—versus uh, an integrator who who has a a, a full time programmer. Uh, what's what's the differences and what's the benefits uh, for both? Sure. Okay, you gave me a softball there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, well, well, as a professional uh, programming firm, we we program day in and day out, and and uh, there there have been many many uh, of these types of companies that ha have come about over the years since this has become a profession and an industry, and um, and the value that we can provide is that. Uh, we work in a variety of situations with a variety of different types of people, different types of equipment, different applications, and we're able to bring to the table at all times all of that knowledge and, and hopefully be able to provide our, our clients, partners, however we may want to describe them, with, with the know-how and the, and the um, ability to avoid the pitfalls of others. So we... I think that, that that's one big key. The other thing is it's very important to have systems and processes in place. Uh, the idea that we walk in and we're going to program a system and it's all going to happen in one day is is definitely a fallacy. There, you know, and, and, and people don't necessarily understand how long it takes to program a system. It's not really the actual programming of the system. It's all of the upfront work that you have to do so that the system that you program is 
meets the needs and the expectations and so forth. So, so all of those things I, th I think really differentiate and and are are the, the strong suit of a programming company. You know, an inter on, on the flip side, the integrator has a, a have probably a little bit more flexibility than than we do um, as a, an independent because they are going to put their guy on the job site and he's going to work there till he gets it done and they're able to shift things around and they, they also have I, I think a lot more uh, of an investment in, in the fact that they're selling a bigger system. I, I think a programming company like Steve's is the the company that the integrator hires behind the scenes so that that integrator can look at you with a straight face and tell you that he has a full-time programmer. That's been largely my impression. Well I mean there, there is something to that. I mean, there, there's well, first of all, that's, that's dishonest. Well, well yes, <laughs> he's got a full-time programmer, but it's a different company that he subcontracts to. Okay, so, all right, guys, because I, I've, 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 I have a, a couple of, of colleagues here in St. Louis that, that put that in their specs. You have to have a full-time Crestron, AMX, whatever, uh, programmer on, on staff. How do you validate that? I guess is the best way. Because let's be honest, that's flat out lying, right? Um, if you well, say if you say that you have a full time quote unquote full time programmer, and you hire it out or you subcontract it, that's not really true. So Steve, we, how, yeah, just throwing it out there. How yeah. is that different from subcontracting any part of the project? So it's you not, could subcontract sub your installation. You could subcontract your engineering. I, I mean. I, I agree with what you're saying. You, you certainly want to be honest about it. It's, uh, but but I don't necessarily think it's a detriment to not have a, a full-time programmer for an integrator. It's it's yeah. not, except no. uh, in, in this college's case, uh, it's it's a fairly good-sized college in St. Louis. Uh, their students pay an awful lot of money to go there. They want somebody that has somebody on staff that is paid by them with a check from them uh, that they can say, you know what, it's seven o'clock in the morning it's eight o'clock in the morning uh we have a a room that's gone down i need somebody here in half an hour or i need somebody here in an hour and the expectation is if you if, if that's the case if that's the scenario then you're more likely to drop everything you're doing whether or not you're on your way to another job site or whatever and head over there as opposed to hiring somebody like you guys like you guys steve uh, they would then have to work around your schedule. And if you had another job, then you had another job, and sure. there's not really anything you could do about it. So I, I guess no. that's that's the difference between hiring a third party or, or subcontracting. There's nothing no, – it's not that, saying anything about the quality of work. It's sure. the availability, the immediate availability of somebody if something goes wrong, I guess is the best way to put that. So. Sure, sure, and I, I, it can be overcome in different ways, but I, but I respect where that comes from. Yeah. So we, however, and, don't have that because, well, I'm the programmer. So uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, we, we very much recommend that an integrator has an in-house programmer because it's it's so much more cost-effective and and quicker response for them to be able to send somebody yeah. out to do the, the the troubleshooting side of things and and uh, you know as as an independent programmer most of the our, our value comes in the larger more complex systems and projects that makes sense all right gentlemen we have a programming company here uh, as a last question or a last go around tell the man what you want uh what do you guys see coming down uh, the Pike, what do you see uh, coming up the next year? Uh, is BYOD going to be a bigger issue when it comes to control systems? 
Uh, is it digital? Is it you know whatever? Is it is it the the mobile apps and stuff, things of that nature? Scott, we'll start with you. What what is it that you would like to tell the uh, the programming community uh, to be on the lookout for uh, as far as education? Uh, so a couple of things. The first one, I you know I've already mentioned. I think that the the mobile piece and Steve sounds like he's he's all over this already in that that piece of the tablets and being able to troubleshoot and having a separate. Um, touch panel that technicians can use. I think that that's huge. I think that there's a, a huge market, a huge need out there for it. I'd love to hear from Steve after this about what um, what does he look at at the future of, of the program that he does in the sense that I see the independent programmer becoming a, a modular type of um, programmer that you know Steve can create the modules for um, class capture, for example, and then sell those modules out to people. Um, along with doing the big complicated systems. I think the other big piece, and we've done some work at base about this, that's huge out there right now for programming is um, help systems. And it, it sounds really completely silly, but I, you know, I wrote a blog about this. I bought a Logitech remote a few um, months ago after refusing to do it for years. The help system on those guys is incredible. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's so easy to use. And I think that if if you know, as as uh, programmers, we can make help systems that are that easy to use. Um, it's going to really do a, a lot for our, our end users. Um, so those are some of the things I'm I think are are big in in the future. All right. uh, Mr. Greg Brown, what's uh what do you see coming down the the coming down the way? Uh, meanwhile, at the anachronism that is UCLA. Um, yeah, you know, I, I do have a bunch of people here who are concerned about iPad control and people being able to walk into the rooms and control the room with their iPad here in 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 our universe where all of the networks require authentication and everything is, you know, its own dedicated subnet and things like that. And um, I'm I'm not sure whether I buy into their their worry on on how fast that's going to be the the, the killer app in these rooms. Um, you, you know, now, now that we've got control systems out there, we're looking at going back and, and redoing our, like I said, we've, we've finished the rooms now, we have something in them, we're going to go back, start looking at the big auditoriums and upgrading them and putting in more, you know, a little bit more complicated equipment, but I think largely the thing we've, we've started to, to sort of learn we have to wrestle with is, um, you know, we, we like we have some auditoriums where we'll have like like two smaller screens or one larger screen, and we we get in these big debates over how we're going to show that on the control panel, how that's going to be represented, and how that how actually that's going to work. Does this you know actually show a little screen? We want to do things like that. Those are actually the debates we're having now. I don't think we're. Um, there, there's some neat stuff coming, and I don't think we're paying a whole lot of attention to it yet. We tend to be a little bit, we're, we're so much more the late adopter. You know, we have, uh, I think, uh, a little bit uh, more, um, um, I think mature is the word I should use, uh, faculty than, uh, than some folks. Understood. Understood. Very, very good use of that word, by the way. I've I've gotten so much in so much trouble with so many other words I've used in the past. You know, I learned eventually. <laughs> yeah, it was very nice. Uh, Ernie, uh, what do you see uh, coming down as far as uh, 
what's going to impact uh, the control systems that we put in our rooms? Well, uh, I agree with what Scott said about, you know, this, the remote management and being able to do that from a mobile device, be able to see what you're doing when you're walking down the hallway, uh, going towards the room, and then be able to take over the control from the mobile device. Uh, I don't really see an, an issue with users trying to take control with their device if we have it blocked off. And I, that's why I'd like to see a way where we can we have kind of a private access into it from a remote uh, or from a mobile device. There's always the hidden page, you know, the one where you, you yes. push down. The, you, hold, you hold the clock hold for, for seven seconds. seconds. Yes. Yeah. My programmer did ten seconds, and it was always the Crestron logo. So I don't know. Uh, we, we we put a clock on every screen, and oh, we just there you hold go. that. And that makes ten sense. seconds is too long. It's a long time. It's a very yes. long time. Thumb, thumb starts to hurt. Yeah. And and now you're going to have to change that, both of you, because now the entire world knows how to get into your hidden page. Well, that is true. So, uh, all right, Steve. Any last words to uh, to this this gathered uh, group of technology managers? Uh, I, you know, the, I first say, you know, I appreciate it, and I think that this is good dialogue, and it's dialogue that we should be having across the industry. You know, I think it's important that we, uh, as you know, the Parts of the industry should be working together to solve these problems and making sure that we are providing the right solution. So, I, you know, I, I think we're we're allies. We're we're, we're you know looking for the same results. Uh, you know, in in terms of uh, following up on, on on what Scott was saying and and what we see in the future. You know, one thing that is go becoming a, a much bigger push for is to, to have these standardized systems and also be able to have a code base that's easy to maintain and modify and you know I hear you guys when it comes to the the costs of doing changes and and it's not something that uh, we want to take advantage of in any way you know I think that there are ways that we can approach systems differently so that we can build in a an infrastructure that allows you to to swap out devices or or makes it so that uh, what looks to be an easy change is an easy change and it and it can be deployed throughout the whole campus just by changing it once and so so that's one thing that that we're seeing is as a big push um, where what I see in the future is a little bit more personalization in systems. I, I'd mm -hmm. like to be able to to see uh, the the user come in and be able to log in and and have what they need presented in front of them rather than have a lot of distractions. And I, I don't know that that's something that we're ready for, but we, we have worked with uh, technology managers in in other universities where they've. Uh, built in an authentication system and I think that that's something that we could really take advantage of to be able to uh, collect data on the users and, and know how to provide them with, with the right solution and, and also help them to troubleshoot the difficulties that they may be having. So, uh, you know, I, I think think that, that, that that's that's really the direction that we're heading and we, we just need to be able to, to collaborate to be able to, to, to tackle those types of challenges and, and provide the right solutions. Very good. Good last words, sir. All right, guys, that's going to do it uh, for this month's episode of State of Control. This has been our, our technology manager's uh, episode. With us has been early Ernie Bailey from the University of Arkansas. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. I've enjoyed it. And where can people find you if they're looking for you? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, it's the easiest way to find me most of the time. Okay. 
Also with us, Greg Brown from the University of California, Los Angeles campus. Go Bruins. Well, it's going to break 70 degrees oh, today. How can people find you <laughs> if they're looking for warm weather? On the beach. Yeah, yeah. On, the, on the beach with a, with a beer. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Uh, also LinkedIn. Uh, tweet at uh, AV Greg. And also I'm one of uh, the uh, Infocom All Voices bloggers on the Infocom website. Very good. Uh, also, Scott Tyner, he is with Bates College, but he's also a blogger for Rave Pub. So where can people find you, sir? Uh, they can Not that anybody ever looks for me, but let's pretend <laughs> under somebody... Under drift. Uh, yeah, under a <laughs> snow drift. Let's pretend somebody out there had some interest in what I had to say. Uh, they could find me on Twitter uh, and also uh, on, on LinkedIn and, uh, on, and writing on occasion for Rave Pubs. Right, very good. Uh, and last but not least, Steve Greenblatt, uh, Control Concepts, sir. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, web, our website is controlconcepts.net, and I'm uh, on social media in various places uh, at Steve Greenblatt, and I also do a little bit of writing for Commercial Integrator and uh, uh, tech, uh, corporate tech decisions. And uh, hopefully uh, you guys will tune in to uh, more State of Control, and we're looking for some feedback yeah. and some more ideas for the future. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. Uh, don't follow me. Go by the website, if you would, please. Avnation.tv. Avnation.tv. You'll find this program. Uh, we've mentioned the, the, the education-focused show we do. EdTech recorded yesterday, and you can find that as well there. Uh, our weekly podcast, AV Week, and a host of others. So uh, check it out, if you would, please. Avnation.tv. Avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. This has been A State of Control.